Hello and welcome to The Writer's Mindset with me, Christina Adams. And me, Ellie Betts. Each week we're here to help you persevere through the tough times, be your most productive self and get that work in progress published. Wherever you are in your publishing journey, we've got your back. This week I interviewed Jeff Elkins about writing dialogue-centric first drafts. shout out to our podcast patrons for all of your support as a patron you'll get early access to episodes the chance to submit questions for our guests and access to our bonus series healthy habits healthy habits isn't your typical productivity advice we're not here to tell you to get up at 4 a.m and go for a three-hour run hell no we're exploring the latest research to find small changes you can make in your life to be happier healthier and more productive in your writing life and beyond to start developing healthier habits today Come join our community at patreon.com forward slash writers mindset. So then with me today is Jeff Elkins. Thank you so much for joining me this very early morning, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fantastic. <laughs> Here's hoping. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for our lovely listeners at home then, can you just explain a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do, please? Sure. I am a uh, novelist. I have 13 novels out, I guess. I just put a new one out, which is nice. I just happen to have it uh, sitting next to me. But so, and then um, in addition to that, I serve as a a writing coach uh, under the pseudonym The Dialogue Doctor, which includes a podcast and a weekly newsletter and all of those good things uh, and a really fantastic community in which we uh, together kind of seek to learn more about craft and experiment with different ways to write dialogue, uh, all in hopes of engaging our readers in deeper ways. Yes, that's me. And I am a part-time writer. I also have a full-time job. That's all very interesting, Jeff. Thank you so much for that. Today, we are talking about dialogue-centric first drafts, which I find a very interesting concept. I I know you've uh, talked a little bit about this before. Can you just explain for our audience, though, what is a dialogue-centric first draft? So a dialogue-centric first draft is an exercise that we use in our community in order to recenter our thinking on what a scene is and what a story is. You know, typically we approach scene and story as this idea that like, okay, these things are going to happen. A is going to happen, then B is going to happen, then C is going to happen, then D is going to happen. What that leads to for us as writers is a lot of, um, especially as new writers, is a lot of summarizing, right? And by summarizing, I mean, you hear the phrase all the time, show, don't tell. Summarizing is like the epitome of telling where you're like walking into the scene um, saying like, you know, Billy went here and did this thing and then talked to this person and he felt sad about it, right? Like and you give me this paragraph that like summarizes conversation and action. Problem with that is, is that the, the reader uh, is engaged by being in the moment and being focused at the time. So uh, being in the moment of the scene. So summaries and large sections of prose often cause readers, especially modern readers, to skim. Although I've looked at books all the way back to like the 1800s, and this seems to be true of them as well, that like the best-selling books, the ones that engage us the most, the ones that like captivate our imagination over a long time are primarily dialogue. 
So by dialogue, I mean the interaction between characters. So you have two characters on the page that are interacting with each other, exchanging expectations and emotions. That's what the reader's showing up for. So I say all that to say, a dialogue-centric first draft is the exercise of writing your dialogue only first in almost a screenplay-type feeling in order to force the exchange of expectation and emotion between the characters to the center of the scene to stop you from summarizing, to stop you from thinking about, hey, what are all the things that need to happen in this scene? And to start you thinking about who are the characters, how do they need to interact in this scene in order for me to accomplish the conflict that I need to have. And so it's a way, it's a tool we use in our community to shift your thinking to bring about a character-centric scene And over time, what it does is it helps you to see your story not as a series of happenings, but as a series of character engagements. Your story is a series of characters interacting with one another. So in in the Dialogue Doctor community, uh, every Tuesday, I say every Tuesday, I miss this week, but every Tuesday we try to post a writing prompt that uh, everybody writes a dialogue-centric scene to and then posts it in our Slack group. Now, And a lot of the authors in the community have just started writing with dialogue-centric scenes all the time. Um, I do not necessarily on purpose anymore, just because that's how I think. But uh, yeah, so it's a it's a tool to rearrange your brain. That's interesting. I do think a lot of my first drafts are more dialogue heavy, but I don't think I've ever had that mindset change of just focusing on the dialogue before. I find that really interesting. Yeah, when we started doing the dialogue, doctor, I had this I, I had this suspicion. Um, this was two years ago we just had our two-year anniversary but i had so before we launched it i had this suspicion that coming from a little bit of a science background i was like i need to test it so i went and got a whole ton of like bestsellers like books that are like okay not just bestsellers you know as in they're on the top of the amazon list right now but like historically bestsellers like you know some neil gaiman books and the harry potter series and jane austen and Oh, I can't remember the sci-fi guy. Didn't like some C.S. Lewis stuff, and so and I, I took, a, I read them, and as I read them, I had a highlighter with me, and every time the scene was focused on character interaction, on characters interacting with one another, I highlighted it yellow, and then I went through and I kind of counted, like, hey, what percentage of the page is taken up by characters interacting? Turns out, with the books that we love, it's like always over sixty percent. It's rarely the whole book. It's 60% of the whole book is just character interaction and really great authors that we fall in love with. You can actually plot their book as in a series of character interactions. I think about Pride and Prejudice, the book that kind of launched romance, right? Like it is just a series of conversations that the lead character is having with other characters all the way through. And it pulls us in as readers. We're on, we show up for this emotional journey with a character, right? Like we want to get into the mind of a lead character or lead characters. And we want to go on this emotional journey with them where we're like experiencing what they experience. And as, as humans, we are communal creatures, right? Like we operate in community. Even if we're, even if we isolate ourselves and reject that community, we're still making a statement on our humanity in regards to the community. Our brains are naturally wired to interpret life and the world around us through human interaction, through the interactions of others, which is why when we want to take a reader on an emotional journey, we have to take them through a series of interactions with other 
humans because or other characters. I mean, they don't need to be human if you're writing like you know space opera and you want to have a different character. It's fine. But you can take them on a on a journey of interactions with other characters. It's th- it's through that interaction that the reader is engaged and the reader starts to actually interpret emotional feelings. Does that make sense? Like, so the reader understands what your lead character is feeling and experiencing and how your lead character is growing based on the the interactions your lead character is having with the other characters around them. So the dialogue-centric first draft is an attempt to fast forward your ability to start thinking about your book as character interaction. That's interesting. So you're not just doing it to develop the characters, you're doing it to appeal to a, a subconscious psychology within us, within the reader, I mean, that they, they crave that social interaction. Yeah, what you're doing when you write words on a page is you're building this bridge between your imagination and the reader's imagination. And you are having this story travel from your imagination to theirs. If you can tap in to what the reader's brain is already hardwired to do, which is things like interpret how, what body language means, right? Like we do that naturally. We start learning as babies. When somebody smiles, it means this. When somebody laughs, everybody else smiles and claps and laughs as a baby. When you cry, people show up to help you, right? Like, so we start learning those kind of community interactions very early on. So we as writers, you know, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We can tap into how people already interpret the world and interpret imaginations through those character interactions uh, and build that bridge of imagination between us and our reader without having to create some new language. And I think a lot of times what we do as writers, especially new writers, is we spend a ton of time writing chunks and chunks and chunks of paragraphs of prose in order to try and build this really strong bridge between us and the reader, right? Like we're like, okay, as a writer, I feel this need to recreate the language that the reader and I are going to use together in order to build this bridge of imagination. And you don't have to do that. There's already a bridge there. You just have to walk across it. So by tapping into how the reader already interprets emotion and conflict, you can fast forward that process. You know, the truth is like the more I talk to readers and over the last year I've worked with over 200 authors, the more I work with authors, I realize that like we skim prose. If you're writing paragraphs and paragraphs of prose, you skim. Most readers have turned off Netflix, turned off Hulu, turned off whatever streaming service they were watching right before reading your book. And they have opened up a book right before they go to bed. So you have to keep them emotionally engaged to get them to read. And so that emotional engagement comes from those character interactions. Talking about science, we could also just talk about other medias. Like the most popular media form right now is the cinematic, like visual arts. If you think about like, well, what are they doing when they make a movie or a TV show? They're using a screenplay that is just character interactions, 100% character interactions. That's all they're putting on the page because they understand based on how we've been telling stories forever that this is what people care about. Even an action movie, right? Like even like your biggest Marvel cinematic universe screenplay is just the characters talking to each other in the midst of them doing other things. So as writers, we used to own this. Like this used to be something that we owned. Like we used to own character interaction. We were the medium that does it the best. Like in his book, Dialogue, Robert McKee talks about how you have as a writer power that no other storyteller has because you have that direct bridge of imagination between you and your reader, whereas all other storytellers have something else in between them. 
right? So audio storytellers have some kind of narrator or some kind of voice in between their imagination and the reader's imagination. Uh, cinematic, you know, movie and TV makers have a whole cast of people interpreting what happens, but you as the writer can go directly from your imagination to the reader's imagination, right? Like you have this incredible intimate power. In order to best use that power, we've got to get your work re-centered into character interaction. Um, we got to get you away from the prose, away from the like, I'm going to summarize all of these plot points that are happening because the reader doesn't care. The reader's there to understand the emotional engagement between your characters and to go on that journey with your lead character. Dialogues and drafts are intended to help you do that. Yeah, people come for the characters or stay for the characters, don't they? The more we mm -hmm. can focus on those, the, the better. Yeah, yeah. And so the, that's where, that's the point. At, that's like what your reader is showing up to is to fall in love, find themselves, not necessarily fall in love, but find themselves inside a character and say, I want to imagine what it's like to go on this journey. And so I want to interact with the people that, that character interacts. I want to be scared like that character's scared. I want to be excited like that character's excited. And so telling me over and over again that that character's excited is, you know, like trying to build a house with your bare hands. You have these tools, right? Like you have these great tools of character interaction. Um, so put them to work, right? Like don't, don't keep your best tool on the sideline. Coming back to actually writing those drafts then, do you find it affects your speed at producing that first draft, either positively or negatively, I suppose, if you're just focusing on the dialogue and the interactions first. It does. And it's, um, you know, it, uh, it will slow you down at first, which is why we talk about it as an exercise. So the way you physically do it is um, I tell writers what you need walking into writing. I, pantser, plotter, it doesn't matter what you need walking into writing is you need to know what characters are going to be in the scene. You need to have an appreciation of their character voice, which is, I mean, you don't need to, but it really helps. Uh, and then you need to have some idea of the conflict that they're going to have with each other. What's, what are they talking about? What's going to like pop in this, that these characters are going to have to resolve through their interaction. Once you got those three things in your head and you don't need a detailed understanding of the conflict, you just need to be like, okay, you know, I've, I'm going to have a mom and a son in the kitchen. Uh, I know the mom is tired, and so I need her voice to sound tired. I know the son is anxious and ready to leave, so I need him to sound anxious and ready to leave. And uh, in the in, they're going to talk about can he take the car or not, right? Like that's kind of what you, those are the only things you need. Now that conflict in a larger in the larger thing is going to end up being the plot point that you're writing to. But for the exercise, you just need some conflict. So and then. You just write the vocalizations between the characters. No, he said, she said, no, it, it, unless the exchange is nonverbal, like unless the utterance of the character is nonverbal, no body language, just get their vocalization, the words and quotes out on the page. And if it is a nonverbal, like if he's going to roll his eyes, say roll his eyes, right? If you have more than two characters in the scene, then you need to denote which character's speaking. A lot of times I say like, hey, just do that with the letter of their first name. Because the key is to keep that dialogue coming out of you as fast as possible for you as the writer to live in that character interaction as much as you can and just get it on the page. That's going to be your first pass all the way through. And then your second pass, you're going to come back to the top with the dialogue there, forcing your 
story to be the character interaction. Now you can come back and you can put in all the wonderful pros that you want to put in. You can put in the body language. You can put in the um, he said, she says, the dialogue tags. All you can put in if you want to use in her thoughts. You can put it in her thoughts, right? Like, but you got to keep that character interaction front and center. So once you get it, once you get that down, it does take two passes. I recommend to readers. I know a lot of times we're like, okay, I'm gonna pants i'm gonna uh, vomit draft out so i'm just gonna run through the whole i like i tell writers doing this exercise do those two passes right away because you want to write the whole character out, and then you want to finish the scene so it takes two passes now after you've been doing it for a while you don't have to do the first pass anymore so i you know i find like after you've done it like eight to nine to ten times the exercise eight to nine to ten times you're gonna find that you start thinking about your scenes in the form of dialogue you start thinking about your scenes as character interactions. It takes a couple passes, like that that many passes to kind of reorient your brain around how to think about your scene. But yeah, so it, it's slower at first. And then uh, it'll really speed you up in the end. And I do find that like it helps your writing because you end up getting away from this. Uh, a lot of times what kills writers, what I find kills writers up front is how do I start this scene? And so we tend to start with like big summary paragraphs that you're going to delete anyway. You're going to get rid of those anyway. The first thing an editor is going to do is be like, all right, at the first of every page, you have this big summary of like where they are and what they see and who they're around. And a good editor is going to be like, cut, 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 cut. No. Or they're going to say like, you don't get to keep that description unless it tells me something about how the character's feeling in the moment, right? Like that's what a good coach slash editor is going to say. It allowed dialogue, learning to write a dialogue-centric scene through this exercise gets you past all of that because you start to learn like, oh, I could literally just start with a vocalization. Like I need to tell the reader who's speaking that I don't need this huge paragraph up front because I got it all out in the character interaction. This goes for action scenes, by the way, too. I, I know people are always like, well, what, what about when I write a fight scene? You know, watch your favorite action movie and I promise they are talking through the fight scene. They are they are yeah. they are talking to each other through the fight scene because the fight scene is just an escalated character interaction. That's all it is. So yes, even with fight scenes and action scenes, you should be writing dialogues into first rounds. That makes sense. I mean, I guess I was curious to know if those who are practiced at writing the dialogue-centric first drafts of a whole novel, are they obviously writing those quicker than they would previous sort of either vomit work first drafts or sort of more detailed first drafts. Is it quicker to get that first draft out and then build on it? You got to do it. The reason I tell you don't write, don't do a dialogue centric scene more than a scene at a time is because the goal is to get you into that moment in a very intimate way um, where you're just really paying attention to how the characters are interacting. I don't want you to forget that. I don't want you to lose that. So do your first pass and then your second pass right away. The first time you do it, you know, I don't know if it'll slow you down or not. It, it does. It requires two passes of a scene. Um, so possibly it's going to slow you down. In the long run, though, like I said, it saves in the long run in editing because you end up not writing a ton of things that are going to get cut anyway. You will end up writing a bunch of conversations that may not be needed for your book. And you're going to have this rough... I, this happens with everybody who starts writing you know, this character engagement focused draft, you end up having a bunch of conversations that are fun and that have this great emotional 
moments, but that have nothing to do with the plot of your book. And I promise your editor is going to give you back your book and be like, this is really fun, but I don't know. I think you have to cut it. I think you have to cut it because it doesn't, it has nothing to do with what's going on. So you will have things that you cut. I'm not saying that like, oh, this is going to stream on your editing process. So, but what it's going to get rid of is you're going to have much less your editor writing in the margins show, don't tell. Right, like because it gets rid of all those tell moments where we're summarizing things for the reader. But even those little extra conversations, yes, they may not end up in the final version, but they're still good. You get to know your characters even better, don't you? It you still do. informs other things in the book. Yeah, I remember my the, my the first book I wrote, the first novel I wrote. This was eight or nine years ago, eight years ago. Uh, I had this really fun conversation between the two characters talk i was writing a superhero um urban fantasy and so i had this fun conversation between the two lead heroes about which one of them is batman and which one of them is robin and it went on for like three pages they were doing other things while they talked but really the only point of the conversation was because i i thought it was funny that's why i put it in the book and i remember my editor when i gave it to to her to look at she like circled all three pages and she was like, I have no idea what to do with it. <laughs> you're going to get a lot of that. Like when you write a dialogue centric draft, you're not going to get the note all over the place. Show to hotel. You're going to get the note. Of, I'm not sure what purpose this serves. This is just here. This is great. I love it. It's fun. Your characters are as very engaging, but it doesn't actually serve. So you, you end up editing in a different way. But if you're going to make me choose between writing Paragraphs and paragraphs of prose, of summaries of what's happening to this poor character. And my editor is going to be like, cut all of this or just write the vague show, don't tell in the margin. I will take, I don't know what to do with this part a thousand times over, show, don't tell. Right? Like, because I don't know what to do with this is like, great, I've written something that's actually entertaining and fun. Show, don't tell is like, you got to rewrite this whole thing. again. It's not working. It is a trade-off, but yeah. I find that it, it ends up giving you more uh, tender for the fire of your story than yeah, the show don't tell. That makes sense. And I imagine stuff like that, like those interesting interactions between characters can be used, you know, maybe for mailing lists or on the website or, you know, or something to just a bit of fun <laughs> yeah. for readers, right? Who knows? Yeah, you, you know, there's words are, I have a, I personally have a, like, never put any words to waste. So, like, if I write something, I would have used it somewhere. So. You know, it's that, yeah. But that just depends what kind of, how how much of a hustler you are, I guess, versus um, a, uh, you know, kind of like artist, pristine artist, who's like, got to get everything perfect. perfect. Those of us who are obsessive grinders and hustlers, <laughs> if, I write, if I write two paragraphs, I'm like, all right, where am I putting this? Where's this going? <laughs> Where's this going? What am I doing? Yeah, I spent time to do this. This is going into the world somewhere. Obviously, if you've just written the dialogue-centric first draft, you do still have to add in some prose and bits and pieces. Does that mean multiple iterations of your novel, multiple drafts before you have all the layers in? I mean, yes, you got to do the two passes of a scene. You got to do two iterations of a scene before I would say that scene is done. You can't just leave the, if you just leave the dialogue, it feels like a screenplay. It feels like a screenplay without the screenplay format, which no screenplay editor wants to read. 
So, or no, no like people who buy screenplays, the format's really important. So, yeah, I it, learned the, that the hard way when I was doing my master's degree. There's a lot more um, stuff other than dialogue in a screenplay that I didn't there realize. Is, yeah, there is. <laughs> so. The dialogue's front and center, but there's a lot oh, happening yeah. in a screenplay. Yeah, absolutely. But the, uh, yeah, so sorry, going back to your question, um, you're going to do those two passes. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to speed you up, I think, in the long run. But where I tell writers to put in that prose is after you've written your first pass and you have all the exchanges of, you know, the mom and the son, you've written out their conversation about who does he get to take the car? Does he not get to take the car? And you understand the emotional journey that they're going to go on, right? At first, the son's going to be anxious and then the son's going to get frustrated. Then there's going to be some level of acceptance and then potentially some manipulation. But finally, whether or not the son gets the car, the mother is going to respond to those emotions. She's tired. She's going to get increasingly aggravated as the conversation goes on. So we have this emotional dance between these two characters on the page through their vocalizations with each other. I tell writers then like, okay, when you do your second pass, go look for emotional pauses or emotional changes or topic changes. Right, like if the topic of the conversation changes a little bit, one topic or one emotional moment we call a segment in dialogue, Doctor World. You want to put your prose, your moments of like interacting with things around the room, or looking around the room, or engaging with things around the room. You want to put that in those segments, or like reflecting on what's happened in the past. You don't want to interrupt the emotional moment or the topic. So you find where you've got a natural pause in those and everybody's going to kind of take a breath in the conversation. And that's where you drop your paragraph of prose. You also, on that second pass, have to go back through and determine, you know, I, dialogue tags are a controversial thing that he said, she said of it all. Um, and we won't, that's a whole, I mean, we could talk for an hour about dialogue tags and how to use them, but you, you go in, you put in like whatever you're using in your style to identify who's speaking. Some authors really identify every line. Uh, some authors, like if you're reading, you know, if you're writing Hemingway style, you can have five pages before you do the dialogue tag, especially if two people are talking because they're just, it's, he just sticks to the vocalizations. Like it really is just the back and forth in that kind of like Aaron Sorkin or an Efron style of film where there's just like this rapid fire back and forth between the characters. The dialogue tags and the, the body language tend to slow that rapid fire down. So um, it, but that's a style question, but you're going to go in, you're at each line, you're going to decide like, do I need to identify, do I need body language to help interpret the emotion of this, of this vocalization? Like, what do I need here to really help build that bridge between my imagination and the reader's imagination? And then when you get to a pause where the conversation has, takes a breath, that's when you're going to drop a paragraph of prose. So at the end of this, the transition of those segments are the end. The beginning of the segment that's interesting so it's dialogue centric first drafts not in terms of just writing the dialogue first but also in terms of writing the prose around the dialogue you know keeping the dialogue front and center mm -hmm. and then adding the prose in to complement it almost yeah making sure those character interactions are are the center of your scene yeah interesting <laughs> yeah and it really does cut back on your prose which readers want so it's it's um I think it's hard for us as writers because we really, we use, most writers that I talk to use prose to ramp into a scene. And then those are words that get cut. That you That's what I do. That's definitely what I'm doing. Yeah. So. so, and we can end up 
you know, writing pages of things that our reader is going to look at and go, and then just skim until they get to characters interacting. They're like, okay, here we are. And that's, I'm saying readers, I'm making these gross generalizations. Um, and, I'm, you know, I'm being hyperbolic to make a point, y'all. I know some of y'all are like, I love the flowery prose. I know. It's great. That's awesome. In general, right? In general, readers are not writers. And so, in general, readers are approaching the book differently than uh, we as writers are approaching the book. It's like my brother is a uh, is a visual artist. He does a lot of painting. And so, when he and I go to museums, he has a completely different experience with the paintings that I do, right? Like, he sees brushstrokes and techniques and all this different stuff and has a, a, just a different appreciation. Whereas I look at it, I'm like, man, that makes me feel a certain way. And so, there, you know, we have to take into account that we want to be getting into the reader's head a little bit and they may not be writers. So they're not going to appreciate the techniques of what's happening as much as we are. They're just going to go, that makes me feel a certain way. And that's, <laughs> so let's just tap into that feeling. That's such a good way of summarizing it. I love that. So when we're starting with our characters, then we're starting with our dialogue and focusing on those interactions and what they're saying and instead of just what's happening in, in the background and around it, how does that make the character stronger? So, you know, the, the putting, it's an interesting question. Let's define stronger first. So I would say stronger is more engaging, right? So knowing that, like, I think everyone can agree that your reader wants to go on a journey with your character. So by putting your character at the center of every scene, you are making that journey stronger but you're making that journey more engaging. I will say the immediate problem when we talk about making characters more engaging, the immediate problem you're gonna find when you're doing this is that all of your characters sound the same. And it's, um, you know, we use what we call, to help you understand character voice, we use what we call the dialogue daisy in the dialogue doctor community, which is we talk about, hey, your character, think of your character as a daisy. It's got roots. It's got a stem and then it's got that beautiful bloom with all those petals that you engage with. When you go to engage with your character and when you go to engage with a daisy, nobody like digs it up and examines the roots and nobody like looks at the, pulls off the head, throws it away and then examines the beautiful stem, right? Like we look at the flower itself. What you're going to find when you're writing a dialogue centric scene is that the same is true of your character, right? They, the reader does not look at the background of the character. They do not examine the roots. The things like how the character is positioned in culture and the character's genetics and the character's family interactions and the character's work history and the character's relationship history and all of these things that we write these big like character Bibles around, all of those things are background. They're all the roots of the character. From that roots stems the character's personality or the like expression of based on what the characters experience, where the characters from, and their like origin, the personality is how the character has positioned themselves in the world around other characters, and then you get the what the reader actually cares about, which is the character voice, and the character voice is the character's expression of personality based on the words the character uses, 
Are they highbrow or lowbrow words? Is the are the character using educated words, or uh, is the character's language uh, more simple? Is the character talking about themselves? Are they focused on other people? Right, like all of these things that make up the words they use. Their body language. Does the character have nervous tics? Is the character um, trying to hide so they keep their hands in their pockets, trying to make themselves smaller in the world? Does the character fiddle with things to? move their anxiety to tap their foot all the time to kind of channel that nervousness or are they very confident they stand with their shoulders back and they're you know uh they do a lot of pointing at things when they talk um so it's that kind of like body language then the cadence uh and by cadence we mean like how many sentences and how long are those sentences for each utterance does your character blabber so you've got like one sentence but it's like really four run-on sentences separated with commas and ands and ums or is it is your character um very succinct and closed off which means there's like three words in a period and that's all you're getting from that character per utterance and there's the pacing which is like how the character interacts with other characters in the conversation do they speak first are they highly engaged meaning every other utterance they're speaking or do they let other people talk and then leave silence in the air all that to say, we use those four qualifiers to say, like, okay, how do your characters' voices differ from one another? Because the thing you're going to discover when you write a dialogue-centric scene is like, oh, you can't really tell the difference between these characters because they all actually sound like me. And so then you have the the solution is to start thinking through your character's personality and how that personality sounds based on the words you're putting on the page. How is that personality going to sound in the reader's imagination? Because going back to just how we function as humans, you in the world, when you go up to meet somebody for the first time, like let's say you walk into a restaurant and you bump into a stranger and now you're going to have an interaction with this stranger for the first time. You don't say, hey, before we talk, I need to know your background, your culture, where you fit, how you feel in this room of people. I noticed this thing about you that makes you stand out a little bit. How does that interpret how you engage, right? And we also don't bump into somebody and go like, hi, I'm an Enneagram 6, who are you, right? Like that's not, what we do is we listen to them talk and we observe their body language unconsciously. And by, because we know what body language means, because we know Shy people say less words and look down, whereas very confident, um, some, you know, people look people in the eye and speak with their hands, right? Like we expressive people tend to talk with their hands, right? We know these things inherently as humans. So that's how we interpret our interactions with other people. So you can find that like, again, taking that wiring that's already there. And using the character voices that we see in the world every day, we can create very diverse characters that way and start to expand them out. But that's the problem. The problem in summary, when you write a dialogue-centric first draft, you're immediately going to be like, crap, all my characters sound the same. You're going to be like, oh no, there's no emotion here. This is flat. It's totally flat. And then you're going to have to, you're what doing the drafts over and over again teaches you is like, okay, I need to understand my character voices outside of their background and personality. I need to explain understand how that's actually expressed in a character voice and i there you know we haven't talked about it yet but the the like kind of 201 level of it becomes like i need to really get a feel for emotional flow and how to start getting my characters to express emotion through their vocalizations and what a natural like emotional build feels like 
But yeah, mm. that's that's the kind of stuff that you start. You start to wrestle with things on a different level. You stop wrestling with like, oh man, my plot points and am I writing to save the cat in the appropriate way? And is this, you know, Pope in the pool scene the right scene or not? And you start thinking more about like, okay, on an intimate level, how am I conveying the emotions of these characters? And those plot tools that we use are amazing. By the way, I love to save the cat. I use it all the time. All that is, is a, hey, we have an established emotional journey that your reader is going to connect with, right? Like that's what's that's what plot devices and genre tropes, these things that we write to, that's what they're saying. They're like, I know these readers like this emotional journey. So these readers, you can take these readers on this emotional journey by forcing these plot points, right? Like we can get past that and get intimate in the scene and start creating our own emotional journeys once we learn that like, yeah, we're just forcing specific character interactions. Definitely. With regards to the characters though, are you doing all that characterization before you start the first draft? You know, are you working on all those routes beforehand or is the dialogue centric first draft almost a tool to, to get deeper into your characters and, and get to know them a bit better? It depends what kind of writer you are. If you're a discovery writer, we're like, you write, you need to like, be in the moment of the scene in order to really understand what's happening, then, you know, just get a general, like, okay, this character is going to be shy and this character is going to be excited and let's go. Right. Like if you're an intense plotter who really can't write until you've done your pre-work to like figure out what's happening, then yeah, you need to build some kind of character Bible. Start with the background, write out all your background, and then go, okay, because of this background, how is this character's personality formed? What, Who is this character based on the background? Now, I know in the real world, that's not how personalities work. I know. I know. But we're not in the real world. We're writing a fictional world. So this is how we're going to make them work because it's it, it systematizes it for us to make it easy. So the background, out of that background comes this personality, and then out of that personality comes this bloom. Go ahead and write it down. And at thedialogdoctor.com, we have all kinds of free tools you can use. They're like spreadsheets that'll help you think through that stuff. If you're not a plotter and you're not already building character Bibles, don't start now. Like, why? <laughs> don't force yourself into a style of building that's going to like cause you to lose time. Because again, like, you know, I have a full-time job. I have five kids. I run an editing business. If I'm going to crank out a novel, I, I have a slow, I have a small amount of time in the evening. And so do what makes it easiest for you. And, you know, the dialogue centric scene is going to make it easiest for you in the long run. It's a, it's, and again, it is an exercise. It's not a like, oh, everybody has to write this way. It's like, you know, this is you going to the gym and bench pressing every three days a week for arm day, right? Like that's what this is. It's like you're going to work out in a specific way to build a certain muscle. But I tell writers all the time, like do what's easiest. Do what comes most naturally. Don't try to force other people's techniques into what you're doing uh, because, you know, the enemy is time. So, like, let's race against that clock by making things. This is hard enough, right? Like, reliving emotional moments. You know, the novel I just read, the novel I just wrote was very personal to me. It's a fictionalized retelling of uh, a traumatic separation from religion that I went through you know, almost 15 years ago now. And um, they're writing those scenes is tough. Like, because even though this scene is fictionalized and never actually happened, the emotions were real. 
And so you end up living those emotions when you, when we write, we end up like spending, we're creating an emotional journey for a reader. So we're like, end up reliving that emotional journey as we write. It's tough enough, right? Like you don't need to make it harder. So if you don't build character Bibles already, don't start building a character Bible now because that like, you're just, you're just making it harder. Um, if you don't plot, you know, and you find that it's you, you are supercharged when you just sit down and discover what you're doing. Well, then do that. Like just sit down and discover what you're doing. I do feel that like you need at least, I would encourage pantsers or discovery writers, know what characters are going to be in the scene before you start writing it. Just know who's in the room. Like, you know, you can add people in the room later, but then you got to go back and put them at the front of the scene too, right? Like, so just know who's in the room and give yourself one word for each character. Because that'll help you start to distinguish those character voices. Like just a single word to describe that character's personality. Mm, I like that concept. It's a good way to get started. You know, don't take on too much at once and try and uh, work through different things. How does it affect you mentally then in terms of the energy needed to focus on just the dialogue aspect first and then add the other bits in later? Would you say, you know, it's going to cost you more energy and more mental effort to just focus on that first and then add in the other layers later? Or would you say it's like easier to just focus on that one aspect? I think it depends on, I think again, that depends on what comes naturally to you as a writer. Some of us are just going to dive right into it and this is going to feel very freeing. It's actually going to feel like shackles coming off. For example, I, I naturally always wrote this way, even when I started. I am completely untrained as a writer. I have no, my worst courses in college were English. I was terrible uh, at it. The only, the only time I was an obsessive, like super nerd in school. The only time I ever got an F was freshman composition in which I was learning to write. It's the only time I ever got an F in school ever. It's actually the only not, I think I got a couple B's in university, but that was my only not A. Um, and I was, I was very angry about it. I actually, I actually got an F and I was like, this is why I don't write. Sensing so some residual bitterness about It's still this there. <laughs> it's still <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah. That professor is still alive and be sitting in a novel every time I wrote it. Uh, anyway, I, I wouldn't because he'd probably just put F at the top of it and send it back to me. That's what he did with all my papers. Uh, sorry, sorry. We're going back to the question, the energy of the writer. Yeah, it depends on what, what gives you energy as a writer. I do think that this is, again, this exercise is meant to retrain your brain. For some people, it's going to be very difficult up front, especially if you've gotten into the habit of like, I'm going to write five paragraphs of prose just to ramp into something, it's going to be a tough shift at first, but it's meant to work out your brain. Like, you know, when I played sports in high school, I played baseball in high school and football. I would sit in a batting cage with an automatic pitching machine, throwing balls at me and just work on how I stepped forward with my left foot and how I turned my hip. And I would do that for an hour, not even swinging the bat, just worked on like left foot, hip turn, left foot, hip turn, left foot, hip turn. When I played football, uh, I played on the offensive line and, you know, we would work on like everybody stepping with the same foot at the same time over and over and over again. Uh, because we knew that that made us better players on the field. It made us a stronger team. It's, it's how you create muscle memory in order to when you're actually, when it's game time, you don't have to think about left foot hip turn, right? Like, because you've done it a thousand times, you have that muscle memory. Riding is a contact sport. 
right? Like we are coming in contact with the writer, with the reader uh, in a very emotional way. And so it's a very intimate sport. This is an exercise about learning that muscle memory. So for some of us, doing the exercise at first is going to be very difficult because you've never focused on how your left foot steps. You've trained your muscles, your writing muscles to do other things. And you're going to have to unlearn those things in doing this exercise. So it's going to be tough at first, but you know, doing the exercise creates that muscle memory, which will pay off in your writing long-term. Hmm. That's a really interesting way of thinking about it. I've never considered myself into sports before in the slightest, but I'm going to tell no, all, people now. <laughs> all the writers are like, did you just use a sports analogy? Yeah, I know. In thinking about then, obviously connecting with the characters and putting the dialogue in characters first, how do you feel about the sort of almost controversial concept of opening a novel with dialogue? Because I know it's kind of a Marmite thing amongst writers. Would you say it's a good way to get that immediate engagement between the reader and the character? Do you want a fast answer or a slow answer? Because that, that's something we could talk about like forever. Think of your, of your scene as a play being performed in the imagination of the reader, starting off with a vocalization with just words and quotes is like a voice appearing on the stage with all of the lights turned out. Now, I like that. That sounds like a good start to a play to me. <laughs> that can be very powerful, mm. right? So Ray Bradbury's All Summers in a Day starts with a vocalization. You don't know who's speaking. You don't know what their, what their context is. You have no idea that they are in a classroom, an elementary school classroom on Venus, looking out the window. He starts with this like very powerful emotional moment of just this vocalization on a, on a black stage. And then after there's a couple vocalizations, the lights come up and we see where we are in our imagination as a reader. So whether or not you start with vocalization actually has more to do with the emotional tone of the scene and how you want the play that's going on in the reader's mind to form. And so if you want to start a scene with all of the lights out and just a voice being spoken, that's a great tool that you can use. If you want to start with um, all the lights come up and all that's on the stage are of the reader's imagination, all that's on the stage are a bunch of props, then great. Like that's another interesting thing to do if you want the reader to focus in on if the setting communicates something very important about how the characters are about to interact, then let us take in the setting first, right? But think about the emotional experience you're crafting for your reader as you open up that scene. When we start thinking about it that way, about like, okay, what is this emotional moment that I'm creating for the reader? There are no right or wrong answers, right? Like, and this is the thing we do as writers that it drives me crazy is we're like, this is the right way to do it. Never, ever, ever use he said, she said. Never. Said is dead. Take it out. We come out with these like, you know, declarations that like, this is how it works. And what those declarations end up doing is completely limiting you as the creative artist, because the truth is you, there are no rules. There are a ton of tools and you can use those tools any way you see fit to create imaginations. Now the reader has expectations of how those tools are going to be used. So just know the more you subvert the 
common use of those tools, the more you're forcing your reader to come to you on the bridge, right? Like the more you say, so like, I'm a big fan of Jose Saramago. As a writer, he wrote like blindness, no punctuation. No, I can't deal with that. I've, I've picked up a couple of books like that where there's just no punctuation or right? nothing. And yeah, I just... and what you're saying as a reader is you're like, okay, you've got this bridge here, and you're like expecting me to come three quarters of the way across. And build half of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not doing like as a reader, you're like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. See, for him, I was it. I was into it, and I'm like, yeah, let's do that. And about seven pages in, I've come to meet him where he is. I'm like, yeah. I'm in your imagination. I can, I can feel it. So there are no, right. There are no rules. They're just tools. So do you want to start with vocalization? Do you not? People will be like, no, that's weird. Don't do that. Well, you know, it's don't discount the tool. You might use it sometime. I wouldn't start every scene with just, with just the lights off unless that's an intentional thing you're doing to make the reader feel a certain way. Right. Like, so a lot of this is about like, like, hey, there's not a right and a wrong. We are in general artists who are painting on the canvas of the reader's imagination. So make the reader feel something. And you have tools to do that. Use those tools however you feel appropriate. That is yeah. an excellent quote, Jeff. I'm going to um, be using that. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> What would be your advice then to one of our listeners who normally focuses on the action first and what's going on around the dialogue, but wants to try a dialogue-centric first draft after having listened to your lovely advice? You know, we start with writing prompts. And I think the reason we start with writing prompts is because it gets you away from the plot in your head and the setting in your head. So you don't need my writing prompts. You can just Google writing prompts and there's a thousand writing prompts. Try to find a writing prompt that has character a and character b are doing x thing that's what that's what's helpful start with a writing prompt that has the character interaction with it like the one i said you know a mom and a son are in a kitchen talking about uh, and the son wants to use the car right you need to know who's in the room and what the conflict is and then just write some short stories using the scene much like you're working out as an athlete right like just this think of it as I'm going to practice in order to hone my craft in order to, so that when I show up to write my novel, I'm better at this thing. Think of it that way. If you got a work in progress and you're like 60,000 words in, please don't go, okay, I just learned this new technique. I have to start over. <laughs> we as writers, we love to start over. Don't do that. Don't do that. So <laughs> think of this as an exercise that helps you learn a specific and that helps you increase a muscle that you're going to flex when you write your novel. Um, oh yeah, so start with little scenes and writing prompts first before tackling an entire draft. Before like trying to tackle an entire draft, you know, don't if you're in the middle of a of a novel, don't go like, okay, I'm on page, I'm on word, you know, twenty five thousand, and now all of a sudden I'm going to dramatically change how I write this specific novel with this new style. Because you're going to end up having to go back and redo the, the 25,000 words you've written. Now, after you've built this muscle out and after you've like learned how to use this muscle, you may end up having to go back and rewrite those words anyway. But let's not start rewriting with an experimentation. Like, 
Let's Good idea. Isolate that experimentation into an exercise. Let that experimentation start to develop you as a writer, and then let that change how you're writing your novel. But yeah, that would be my advice. Start with a short story. Just exercise. Simple. Forget word count. You know, you're gonna find that these drafts are a lot shorter. You're gonna find that like, oh, I got through this scene in 500 words, right? Like, you're gonna find that they move really fast, especially if you you're not great with emotional flow if you if you're not used to emotional build if you're not then characters are gonna get angry real fast you're like oh i didn't uh, probably should have built up to that right like so you're gonna get a draft on like 500 words you're like oh huh i should have more conversation here to show that he's getting angry as this goes on right like or it feels very jumpy. The, what this is doing, though, is just revealing that, like, hey, that already exists in your work, right? Like, that's already something that's happening. Yeah, start is start with an exercise, short stories. Take an hour, knock one out. Do it, a, you know, four to five times a day. Again, I think, not a day, four to five times. And then I think by the time you, you've done it about 10 times, you're going to start to think about scenes differently. Very good advice. The most important question in the entire interview then, Jeff, I hope you're ready, is uh, which one book changed your life? As a kid, I used to read a ton, like especially as a teenager and in college, like in the, in, really into my 30s, I used to read a ton of theology, um, so much theology. And uh, what that theology did was teach me that like, oh, life is like a soccer field. And there's inbounds and there's out of bounds. And these things are out of bounds and these things are inbounds and there's lines, there's rules. Everybody has to follow these rules. And there's rituals we practice in order to make those rules um, uh, work. And so like when the ball goes out of bounds, somebody has to go get it and throw it out. Um, so I read this book in my early thirties called Velvet Elvis by Rob Bell. And he has an illustration of life is not a soccer field. Life is a trampoline. And the goal is to jump on everything and understand how it bounces. And so that um, has seriously impacted how I think about writing. But like we said today, there are no rules. There are just tools that you can use to craft an emotional experience for the reader. All of those, all of those rules are just a trampoline. Jump on them all day, pounce on them. You're gonna find that like sometimes when you jump on one, it's really painful and it makes the writing really bad. You probably shouldn't do that again, right? Like not everybody should be Jose Saramago. Please don't let go of your punctuation. Those are like those are tools we use in order to create the bridge in a, in a special way. But that's yeah. So that would be I think the book pertaining to this conversation that helped shape my worldview in a way that um, allows me to think about things a little bit differently. Hmm, I like that. Very interesting choice. <laughs> right. I'm throwing, I'm trying to throw a curveball at you. That's yeah. like, yeah, I like that. I am. Um... We, we do we do sort of venture into those kind of realms here. My, my co-host Christina and I like to read all sorts of different things. So nice. that sounds like the kind of thing I'd probably enjoy. Excellent. Yeah, <laughs> highly recommend it. It's an old book. It's from the 90s, but it's a great one. It's very short. You'll read it in the night. Okay, perfect. Even no. better. <laughs> yeah. And uh, lastly, then, where can our lovely listeners go to find out more about yourself? Yeah, so to learn more about dialogue, dialogue.com uh, is uh, where you go to that. Um, 
There's a newsletter you can sign up for. It comes out once a week. It's totally free. Uh, if you want to join, I talked a lot about the community today because that's just where we do these exercises. If you want to join the community, uh, that's on patreon.com backslash Jeff Elkins, or you can go to dialogdoctor.com and click on the community button and that will take you there as well. Um, there's a podcast that comes out every Monday. Uh, we just did our two-year anniversary episode. So, you know, we don't have a time. We're up to like 104 episodes, I guess. But uh, that's fun. We do editing on the podcast. It's not a, We don't do interviews in the podcast. The dialoguers, the people from the community send me and my coaching partner scenes. And then we get on the podcast and we work through those scenes together and talk about the dialogue together. Oh, that's so, really interesting. It's fun. It's a great. Yeah, you just had uh, Shane S.W. Miller on the podcast two episodes ago. Uh, you can find several episodes of Shane and I uh, arguing about whether or not his character should be having conversations with the moon most recently. He's, <laughs> he's got a vampire character who's angry at the moon. And I was like, we need to talk to the moon more, Shane. So, um, yeah, you can find us nerding out on craft at DialogueDoctor.com all the time. That sounds excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jeff. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks pleasure. for having me. This is fantastic. If you found this episode interesting or helpful, make sure you subscribe to The Writer's Mindset on YouTube or your favourite podcast platform. Or all of them. We don't mind. Everything from a like to a rating to a review to a subscribe to shouting about us on social media helps us to reach more writers so that they can overcome the mindset issues that are holding them back with their writing too. If you're on social media, come join us on Instagram at Writer's Mindset Pod or join our Facebook group, which you can find by searching for The Writer's Mindset. And don't forget to come join us over on Patreon for our bonus series, Healthy Habits. See you next time. Keep writing!